0: and uh, you got this energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions, including, well, what do I say when? And, well, what do I do when? So that you feel equipped to handle the day to day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa, or lace up some shoes, or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit, and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad too. Hi everyone, welcome. I am really glad you are here this week and back by popular demand, (laughs) I have my dear friend and talented colleague, Beth Wheeler. Welcome Beth. (laughs) Hello, Laura. We are, we're here again, largely because I love to get a chance to talk to Beth anytime I can, which isn't often enough. And also because we were, we did a quick check and the conversation that Beth and I had last time about anti-racism and white folks and how we get in each other's way around that stuff has been the most downloaded episode. And, and I just thought it's time to reach out to Beth and see if we can keep furthering these conversations about, um, whiteness, anti-racism, parenting, both of us are in it, um, parenting teens who are um, interracially adopted and uh, that really is humbling over and over and over again. So welcome back, Beth.
1: Thank you so much, Laura. It's really such a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Yeah, tell me give me a always let people decide which parts of their bio like for those people who didn't hear the intro um from the other episode we did just a a quick snapshot of of how you end up being here chatting with me
1: well of course the first reason why i'm here chatting with you is because we met each other at packed camp our favorite place to go and be uh amongst each other other fellow adoptive parents with um who have adopted kids of color. That uh, has been the primary reason why I'm here with you, but also professionally, I am a clinical social worker and I do work particularly with white people looking at white identity, anti-racist advocacy, how to be more anti-racist and more conscious of how we center our own whiteness. And I've grown even more interested in the ways in which that shows up in parenting um and the effects of that i also am a have a private practice in therapy and do more body oriented psychotherapy so i do a lot of work with trauma and the nervous system and um, work with people who are wrestling with identity issues whether it's race gender sexuality gender identity sexual orientation adoption etc
0: nice yeah so you have lots of overlap that way as well yes Mm-hmm. When we were chatting today, there are lots of different directions that we could go tell me tell me how your or what's your work, and what do you see in the work of other white parents of teens of color like what how is adolescence? How is having adolescent children? changing the way your whiteness shows up in your parenting or highlighting the way your whiteness shows up in your parenting?
1: I would say there's a few avenues that this shows up. One is kids are a lot more able to think abstractly and able to articulate what they want to say to you as a white parent. So I'd say, um, and also being teens, there might be a little sarcasm, just slight <laughs> in what they might say, or a little anger or a little bit of a heightened emotion that might come with that. So I think that there are more issues, of course, in our lessons around individuation and around separation and how close do I want to be with you as a parent? How far away do I want to be with you, from you? Who's important to me? Places where... peers become more important than parents in a lot of ways. And so who our kids are hanging out with, how they're wanting to spend their time, um, definitely influences from COVID when there were a lot fewer in-person contacts with people. So there was a lot more, in my experience, social media contact and texting contact and video game contact with people from all over. Um, and then how to transition from that experience into being back in person with people and friends and developing friendships. So that's one of the ways that I think I'm seeing the teenage years and how how being a white parent to black, I have two kids who identify as black and identify as male and straight. And I am white and queer and separated from my ex-wife and I identify as female so we have a lot of differences in our family system and so those differences I think are much more pronounced now as my kids are starting to really look at their own issues of identity whether it's race gender sexuality gender identity all of those things are so heightened for teenagers that um, the differences that we hold while always having been there are even more pronounced now.
0: Yeah. And do you, are they they talking about that? Does it come up or do you you know, I know oftentimes I hear parents when we have younger kids, PACT was really good. Uh, about working with us and uh, encouraging us to lead those conversations not waiting for kids to start the conversations around race so you know many of us were figuring out how to have those conversations and translate concepts around race and racism into eight and nine and seven year old language now that your kids are older what are what are you hearing from them or what do you hear from other transracially adoptive families that have teens in terms of how race comes up at home?
1: I think so much depends on the the level of conversation that's already been in the family. Um, and so for some people who haven't had a lot of conversation in the family, I think it gets um, put out in many ways uh, with anger or with um, acting out in various different ways and trying as a parent to um, unpack what the meaning is of those things that kids are saying We've been talking about it since the kids were little and I got well versed in having conversations that I was uncomfortable with and moving through my discomfort. While I still at times have uh, my own fumbling that I do because I'm white and uh, I live in this privileged body all the time, I definitely feel like the level of the conversation is deeper. Um, we do talk about it. We, there are times when the conversations are much more substantial and actually where kids are wrestling with their questions, um, than they might have when they were younger. And still I find though, that because they're teens, they're wrestling with so many different identities that it's tricky as it was when they were little to figure out, well, what's what, what is this about race? Is this about gender? Is this about sexuality? What's going on here? And so there's still some of that sorting. Um, And while the kids are incredibly clear at times about what they're saying, it can feel like they're a lot older than they are in their willingness and ability to talk these incredibly complex conversations. I have to remind myself that they're teenagers and they still haven't, developed a lot of their brains yet and (laughs) understanding that comes with time so I think that's another aspect of it that makes it a little bit more tricky and also they're very influenced by peers at least my kids are but I think most kids are and so what's coming back it's trying to sort out what is coming back that's my kid and what's coming back that's the influence of my of their peers on them And uh, is this who they're becoming or is this something that they're hearing and wanting to sound like their friends? And so trying to sort out, like, who's my kid and who are they becoming in their terms of their identity issues?
0: Yeah. And I'm also amazed. I've been amazed. Really strong, competing mixed feelings about social media influence, for instance. Um, You know, 20 years ago. You didn't have as much exposure to cross-cultural if you were if you weren't raised if you were not being raised in a really multiracial, fully integrated place which we know there of which there are very few in the united states <laughs> but if you if you weren't you didn't get a ton of exposure you know television shows would come on once a week and you would get a glimpse into this family and some of the stuff that that i hear in my practice and in my home that comes from TikTok and other social media places, sweeping generalizations about race oh. in negative ways, but also an introduction to some of the different ways people communicate, some of the different norms in different groups. People are posting about what your white friend is going to think about your black family's dinner. You know, like people are posting these things. But we're completely out of the room for, for those conversations. And so it's really hard yes. to know how much we're like, well, this is a way that our you know, that's a version of code switching. They're watching versions of code switching or windows into the way certain people communicate if they're not in your immediate uh, community. But it's also just just ripe for stereotype and misinformation and miscommunication and so i've really like a number of times just been scratching my head about like i don't know if this i don't know i don't know how to feel about pretend i have lots of thoughts about a bunch of the stuff that's happening in social media but particularly around cross-racial engagement interaction teaching communication all that stuff um is is can be quite caricatured and loaded or the whole concept of in-group so so in-group communication Mm -hmm. versus out-group communication i think comes up a ton because our own family is a mixture of in-group and out-group and we're trying Mm -hmm. to have these conversations and yet you know helping kids understand there are things people within a community can say to each other in Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. And that has different power than when you're positioned outside of the community and you're mimicking these things or you are trying to use them in your speech. You know, if your friends who are not black are trying to use them in their conversations with you or others, how does that work? I mean, it's just it's fascinating the stuff that has fallen out of some of the exposure to these concepts online. I don't know if if you see a similar thing with with navigating that whole, being an observer of a lot of interactions when you really don't have enough information about the positionality of all the people involved (laughs) that are holding the conversations.
1: Yes, I absolutely agree that that happens. And I also have witnessed, for example, there's so much conversation now in schools and in various different communities around what's appropriate language to use. You know, uh, who's allowed to use or not allowed to use the N-word? Who's allowed to use certain racial slurs that various communities have reclaimed for themselves? And so there are times when, you know, my son says, well, you get a pass for this, right? Because you're my mom, like for using the N-word. And I said, no, I don't, I don't get a pass. A Latino friend of his will give him a pass to use a uh, a slur that might be anti-Latinx um, that is now being used in a funny way, and then he might give a pass to his friend to use the N-word. So, it's these. These small agreements that they make with each other that are not small, but then what happens if this agreement is made and then they're in a school setting or they're in a public setting where people don't know that those agreements have been made? And then what happens to people that hear it from outside and hear racial slurs being used inappropriately uh, all around the block, right? And so having those conversations as a white person to say, I still think it's inappropriate for you as someone who's black to use this racial slur with your friend, even though he's given you permission, Uh, you know, but who am I as a white person? And uh, as my kids would say, an old white person, um, (laughs) who am I, you know, from the non digital age um, to say these things? And so that's where the line is, I think, around parenting and around value systems and around what are you teaching as as a parenting philosophy and how do you engage in those conversations to try to understand from your children, tell me more about where this comes from. I want to understand what has you think this is okay, not from a judgmental place, but actually from a curious place, because this is where I think we're also at that age where sometimes we want to believe that we're the ones that know things, but actually our kids are at the age where they're teaching us things too.
0: Yeah, and it's so interesting you mentioned that because the whole issue of the past has come up a lot. And as you know, we're in, we're in opposite ends of the of the states and very different places, and with culture, race, etc. And and it, that's come up. And actually, you know, my child has had the experience numerous times of non Black people asking him for a pass to use the N word. Um, over and over again and and like a lot actually in a way that I'm yeah and so exactly right we're having this conversation how and and from our positionality as white parents white moms yeah all we can do is say in our in our family you know our values would suggest that that's really an in-group word. Really wrong. That, yeah, that's an in-group word. Are you in that yes. group? No, so right. don't. You know, like there's a thing. Like there's kind of a thing. Like my that's what my instinct would say, and I'm sure not comfortable hearing it. But you know, I mean, yeah, it's it's really tricky when what is trending or what is viewed as okay mm-hmm. in spaces that are, that are younger, whatever, don't, don't line up with, um, what feels right. And then, yeah. And what position we're in as, as removed, um, from that, I think. And, and it's an interesting time too, in terms of, because teenager adolescence is a time when pretty much not every, but so many teens feel like their parents are illegitimate as a, as adults and leaders anyway. <laughs> right, right. Then that gets magnified a little bit in many of the adoptive families that, that I know, especially when there's a racial piece where the mm-hmm. who are you to tell me is a really common adolescent thing, but that just mm-hmm. gets blown into a wider chasm when you really have walked a very different path because I think that's the other thing that I would say is... Um, You know, they're the things that we all heard a lot about, like watching my child get profiled in stores and followed Uh around in places and, um, you know, going back to our car at a beach park and having somebody intercept and ask him what he's doing going into our Uh car and and just just continuing to watch more and more ways that the world assumes different things from my son than they did and would and do from me um and and feeling a little bit panicky about having him prepared like as prepared as possible because it's getting closer to also than having to navigate I mean we got time I don't want to hurry it but they're getting closer to having to navigate it elsewhere and yet they're also getting older and yep perceived as even older than they are and right. the world is going to be interacting with them as you know men of color rather than kids mm-hmm. of color very soon and so you know that's how- actually happening is- for
1: us already yeah oh wow absolutely because my 16 year old is six feet tall and my my 13 year old is uh five, 10.
0: Oh what Oh, that's mm-hmm. like, I would have predicted the first one. The second one must have been a very big
1: <laughs> job. Yeah, so maybe he's 5'9". I don't know. Maybe I'm making him grow too fast. But <laughs> but they both, because their voices get deeper, all of those things, their stature changes. You know, I think as a, as a parent of younger kids and younger black kids, of course I knew this was coming, right? This time where they move from being perceived as cute, and uh sweet kids and then they get perceived as threatening and um they're treated differently and the stature and the way in which I notice kids my kids needing to change their posturing and getting a little bit more defended as they go out in the world and getting a little bit more kind of tougher in their way of moving in the world for protection's sake yeah but then also noticing that that could feed a stereotype of, of being threatened, even though that's not what's happening. Yeah. But it, you know, the defensiveness and the defendedness that these, these kids, particularly boys in one way and girls in a different way, and people who are non-binary in a whole other way or gender expansive or trans, all of these ways that race goes first. Right. And then the body, body posturing because of needing to stay safe that right that then creates you know more misperceptions often
0: well right because ironically when you look at that on both sides of that coin people are feeling unsafe right and 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 too often kids of color and people of color are are assumed to be aggressive rather than defensive when when their senses are heightened and they're aware of the potential risk to them in certain Mm -hmm. situations that's perceived as aggressive. And you can, you know, it it just, where ironically, both, both folks uh, in that moment, historically, one group had much more reason to fear (laughs) Uh us white folks than the other, but in the, you know, Tuesday at the mall, you know, Uh both groups of people are preparing themselves for something they believe may be unsafe and, um, And it's it it continues to be challenging to figure out, you know, how how to prepare, prepare kids without having them feel totally paranoid and feel like pariahs when they are moving into the world. Right. How to go out prepared to navigate their intersecting and multiple identities, but also you know, yeah, not be completely despondent and assume the worst in everyone and carry the weight of what is super heavy all the time.
1: Exactly. And I think that, I mean, one thing that we've talked about forever, right, is code switching. And what I realize is that, I mean, my kids, my oldest one in particular talks a lot more about like, you have no idea what I'm like out there. I'm not the same person as I am in this house. I don't present myself the same. I don't talk the same. I'm not that same person. And again, able to articulate, Mm -hmm. like, meaning be very clear in that description. Um, And I, of course, as you and I were talking and also through COVID, right, at the time, right, white parents, kids not able to go out of the house much where you know a lot more social media and a lot more listening to rap and other music that happens to be the favorite music in this house of our children and so a lot of the learning about the code switching learning about language and how you want to sound and what you want to do that is learned through social media or learned through stereotypically black because my kids are black um uh, music, et cetera, and then hearing that out in the world for these kids and saying, okay, well, this is who they are finding themselves to be and how to support that identity when, as a white parent, I can get afraid that if they present in that with that identity or with that language that they listen to in their music, um, they might get more hurt. But who am I again to say that's
0: not who they are you yeah. had a situation I hope
1: I articulate I hope yeah. I articulate that okay no
0: no no yeah it totally. Um, yeah, we know there's a lot of misunderstanding associated with a, a profile of language and communication and dress that mm-hmm. that um, and, and that we recognize that's our fears about what people who largely look like us will, will do. And, and uh-huh. that we've gotten in there's some way there's a privilege in the bubble when our kids world are smaller, we, you know, our kids will be identifiable as with us somehow in smaller communities or uh-huh. known to us. And, and I think this, the concept of language and code switching is interesting, right? Like recently my um, son went into a public uh, restaurant setting or fast food place and he, um, walked up to the counter and the person behind the counter was a young black man, kind of nodded to him. My son started ordering uh, in, you know, I would say not and just using everyday language that is would be perceived as largely mainstream and white in what he was saying. And the guy's face immediately changed and he sort of dismissed my kid and said, hey, you know what? Uh, Somebody else literally like passed him off to somebody else. And later in the car, I wasn't there, but my child was explaining it to me and he's like, mom, I think I just sound too whitewashed was his own languaging for it, right? And I'm like, Uh and that word word has certainly come up for you. It's come up for friends. I mean, he has been told by several numerous friends of color and kids of color in school that that he's whitewashed and mm-hmm. so we've had conversations like what does that mean um mm-hmm. do you i mean and he was like well what was i supposed to do go up to the counter in dunkin donuts and be like yo yo and he started doing this exaggerated mm-hmm. you know tick tock and i'm like no i don't think it probably has to be that so we ended up kind of laughing about but it's a genuine right that's a genuine it's an example where he yeah. it's that i think is a is a, the, the path that we you know the week prior at school somebody had used the n-word in a and it clearly in a derogatory way he's been around the n-word used in used as popular culture you, Hey, with people you non-white mm-hmm. folks but non-black folks so non-white and non-black folks mm-hmm. using the n-word mm-hmm. Frequently with each other in reference as very kind of trendy and popular, etc., mm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. This was, which was uncomfortable for him. This yeah. particular time, though, this was it was directed at him. It was somebody directing the oh, N word
1: at him. It's a it was racial.
0: It was used. Per- intentionally as a racial slur and that was a few days earlier so then we're we're in a place that is predominantly you know more black and movies and and then he's like mom they see me as whitewashed right so within okay. about 36 hours he's just like I, what I, I, I mean literally looking at him I'm like i you know what buddy here it is like here he, here it is this is the reality that things are complicated and that you're, we, you know, we walk around and I, this is the pain in the butt part of having a therapist mom. I'm like, there's this thing in psychology called stimulus value. <laughs> Where I'm like, people look at us and they scan very quickly and they file us into a set of assumptions about what they're going to get from us. And if we then do something unexpected based on what their very fast sorting told them, it mm-hmm. it gets people's attention and that's that piece where they're just gonna have a set of assumptions about how you're supposed to talk, dress, walk, look, believe, what you know, music you've been exposed to, history you've been exposed to, in a in an automatic sorting kind of way. And when you mm-hmm. and when you communicate in a way that challenges their preset notions, you're gonna get a little bit of a you know, head snap a little bit, uh, like yes. a quizzical head turn, head snap. And and this is what you're navigating. This is ex- you are going to have to find your place of comfort within that and understand, wh- you know, how do you want to, how would you communicate with other folks who look like you and don't look like you? How do you communicate differently? When does it feel really important to do that? When does it feel not so important to do that? Um, mm-hmm. And that's just going to take some practice and, and, You know, I wish race didn't dictate so much of what it does in our culture, Mm -hmm. but that would be naive of me to just hope it's going to go away. So it's only going to get more complicated for you. All I can say is we just will keep, you know, doing the best we can and trying to 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 have conversations and keep learning about, you know, thanks for letting me know because he felt it was really the they both felt really bad for different reasons. They did. They bo- right they both felt bad for different reasons well
1: don't you think so much of this and so much of adoption is about where's my home yeah like where's my who's my family where's my home um this is my family but i have another family um you know i've certainly gotten and i don't know if you have but like if i had lived with my birth mother i would be able to dot 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 mm-hmm. fantasy world um yeah. If I live, you know, living with you, I get to do this. If I lived there, I wouldn't be able to do this or vice versa. Yeah. Um, but it, they're getting more the, the, the questions and the, the thoughts are getting more profound. Right. Uh, in, in my experience and the the identity questions of am I acting this way? Because maybe this is in my blood versus yeah. it's from my family or oh. um, my family, uh, my adoptive family, um, questions like that. Um, where, you know, more of that stuff seems to be coming out of nowhere, which I expect. Yeah. It's certainly not out of nowhere. It's <laughs> so much on their minds. But it's it's being spoken in a different kind of way. Yeah. Um, maybe that's because we've always spoken about it, or maybe um, it's because of being teenagers. I don't know. And at a time when everybody's searching and trying to understand who they are. Yeah. Right? And and they're more likely to start telling their stories of well my family my family and sometimes I hear, huh, oh, stories being told that aren't actually the stories that are true, but they're the stories that I think are the fantasies,
0: yeah.
1: Right, and yeah. so that also comes up in many times where, you know, our kids have fantasies of who their fa- pa- parents are, who their families of, of origin are, their first families are, and so. I think sometimes they may share those stories with friends and um that they would never share with us as parents
0: right
1: um so you know the the kind of slight benefit of of uh the um media social media and telephone age is that uh, sometimes if they're allowed we hear it <laughs> <laughs> We hear some of those things and like, Oh, fascinating. Okay. Well, all right. That's where you were born. Oh, that's okay. You know?
0: Yeah, no. And I, I can already tell we're going to have to come back for, for part three around any number of things, but I think I really like sort of pulling together pieces of this in this concept of, of finding home, I think Mm -hmm. for adolescents, but particularly for transracially adopted interracially adopted uh, adolescents it's there's so many different things that means with the racial piece with uh exactly what's nature what's nurture why do i do this why if we're different why is that if if i'm really similar to you what does that mean um like yeah it's that it's a i think it you know an exaggerated push and pull so um for for parents who are listening out there, trans-racially adoptive parents, or you know allies of trans adoptive families, or doing anti-racist work, I think. It, it just it really does it's it's making space. it's the same things we talked about before, but again, it's making space to have these conversations so that your kid tells you when there's a Dunkin Donuts exchange so you can stay mm-hmm. curious about it together. They tell you when somebody's using slurs at school they they uh, you know and and not personalizing when when they're really angry that they're in the yeah. situation where they're struggling to find a home in a couple of different areas and and you're responsible for for exactly parts of that you know
1: laura i think i know i know we have to start wrapping up but one of the things i think that remains really essential is to be curious yeah and to realize that we are all doing this together for the first time with each other as a family and as much as we learn from each other, and I learn from you, and we learn from our our fellow, uh, for us white parents raising kids of color, um, the various different stories and experiences, like each of our children is very unique, and their issues are not generalizable, uh, nor are ours as 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 a, as white parents. Though there are some similarities and some ways in which um, we can support each other. And ways in which our kids support each other. Yeah. So <clears throat> I just would l- really advocate still for curiosity um, because I think that we like to think that we know as parents or maybe as white dominant people um, thinking that we're supposed to know everything or that we do know and it's all right which is not correct um, that, that we think we know the reason why things are happening and honestly we
0: don't. We don't and I think it's funny. I think when we're and so what I'm also nudged toward there is community. So stay curious Uh and find community. Stay curious Uh and find community would be the the kind of and listen to your
1: kids (laughs) and believe them.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Listen to
1: your kids and believe them when they tell you these things because we don't want to necessarily believe them and they are telling us the truth.
0: Yeah. Ugh. Well, thank you for staying in conversation with me. I look forward to part three. It's never long enough, and I'm oh, never it
1: is never, never. <laughs>
0: excited to connect again soon. Thanks for joining me today, Beth. You're welcome. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.